This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's Q&A. I'm recording these a little earlier than normal, so if your question comes in after I started recording, I'm probably going to miss it, and you'll have to ask again next week. Sorry about that. Or you could just message me direct through any of the support services. And a note about that, I guess I've been missing a bunch of Patreon messages. They either weren't coming through at all, or they were getting added to my message inbox, but I was never getting the email notification. So I'd, an email notification would pop up, I'd click on that, and I'd see like three or four messages that I never got notifications for. They never went to my spam box, there was never any indication they were there or anything. So I, I wanted to apologize about that, and if uh, I, I just I want to make sure nobody thinks I'm intentionally blowing them off or anything like that. I, I definitely never do that, at least on purpose. I'm sure I've forgotten to respond to people and stuff like that, but it's never intentional. So if you've been trying to get a hold of me about something and I haven't responded, please just try again and hopefully Patreon got their messaging service and their notification stuff fixed. Anyway, let's jump into the questions. Starting us out, a few people chimed in in regards to the conversation about using PopStarter software emulation on a PlayStation 2 to play PlayStation 1 ISOs. Mr. Pete1985 suggested trying a jailbroken PS3, and Photosven said they just gave up on PopStarter and got a PS1 Classic. And I just wanted to add a little bit of thoughts to that, because if this is something that people are really going to go down the road of trying to do, I might be able to save you a little bit of time and effort. Um... First of all, playing original discs on any of these things is probably the easiest. Not necessarily the best, but original discs obviously will run on a PS1. They will run fine on a PS2. Most of them, uh, as overall, you'll have a good experience. They'll work on a PS3, but I've had really soft video output whenever I used a PS1 disc. And in fact, the PSN downloads always looked sharper and never as good as a PS1 through an OSSC. So that was kind of weird. Um, if you jailbreak your PS3, you are able to load PS1 ISOs, and I don't remember exactly how they uh, work versus um, the PSN downloads. I think I mostly just use discs in that scenario. And a jailbroken PS3, I believe, will play CDRs, so that's kind of a bonus. Um, and it's just something to consider. Also, the PS1 Classic, that's about as easy as it gets. You buy it, you plug it in, and you play the games that are loaded on it. But the software emulation on there isn't that great, so you probably should want to hack that and uh, or probably would want to hack that and and get a little bit better performance out of it but overall if the goal is just to play isos when you're talking about ps1 it may just be easier to use pc emulation and you could do some cool things with them as well so i just kind of wanted to put things into perspective because i often find myself trying out new and different methods of doing things wasting hours and hours of my time just to come to the same conclusion i had when i started of i should have just spent the 150 bucks to buy this thing or i should have just stuck with the method i was already using and i'm not disagreeing with Mr. Pete or Photosven at all. I just uh, I wanted to add a different perspective, just in case the target was just to play ISOs and enjoy them. You know, enjoy your translations, your ROM hacks, and stuff like that. But overall, if you really want a surefire solution to get everything working well, 
a PS1 with an ODE right now is going to be the most solid solution. Although there should be other things coming out within the next few years, ranging from software emulation boxes and all the way to hopefully ODEs for the PS2. Cross your fingers on that one, though. Martin Escartain had a question about splitting their PC's output to two monitors, a regular one and an Amiga 1080, which is a 240p RGB monitor. And that's an interesting scenario. If you were looking at doing this all the time, so you always wanted to have two monitors output, uh, and you're talking about a flat panel and this, that could be pretty tricky. Um, you might need to do something like have your main flat panel output at whatever the native resolution is, 1080p, 1440, whatever, and then have a second output set to 640 by 480, and then send that into a downscaler into your RGB monitor. And that would be fine, but that's not cloning the two. That's just adding a secondary monitor. And I have had some issues running MAME in these setups. Some people have gotten it working, so it's definitely possible. And I didn't spend too much time on it, but it definitely wasn't something that was super easy and intuitive. You know, because the situation for me would have been, it would have been very cool to have an RGB monitor sitting next to my PC that I could just use for MAME emulation when I want to do testing and stuff. But that wasn't quite working the way I had hoped. Now, if you're using a VGA monitor, you could just always run at 640 by 480, have two outputs, and then same thing, use that with a downscaler. The other possibility is you could add something like an arcade VGA card or one of the ATI cards with a hack on it, although those are a little iffy because they boot in 31 kilohertz, not 15 kilohertz. But if you wanted to have two graphics cards, you could always dedicate one to uh, 240p and then the other one to whatever resolution you want. But once again, that's not cloning. So it really depends on your total setup and how you want it to work. But this should be something that's doable. It's just going to take a little bit of effort. Also, I really hope I pronounced your name correctly. I'm terrible at that. I always give it a, my best, uh, but I usually fail. So let me know. Fingers crossed I got it right. Lewis F96 wanted to follow up from last week's discussion about PVM versus arcade monitor versus consumer grade CRT, and they said they're going to stick with their 13-inch consumer CRT, would still want to see games on a PVM, but the image quality does seem too sharp for what they want. So I just wanted to make sure I was clear about, first and foremost, whatever looks best to your eyes is the right answer, period. There is no best or worst or anything. Well, the worst is ones that don't work at all, but... Hopefully you know what I mean by that. Um, and while some PVMs might be too sharp for some people's preference, don't forget, too, that there's many different sizes, many different types, different line counts, uh, different masks. So the Sony ones use the Trinitron Aperture Grill. I always say that word wrong. And then the rest use shadow mask tubes. So I would just kind of step back and take it as a whole. But I do want to make the point that if you have any CRT that you're already happy with, there's probably not a reason to upgrade unless you want a second as a backup or unless you're just nuts like me and, and like collecting them for the different variety and the different look. And it's just a fun thing, just like people who collect anything else, I guess. So um, glad I was able to answer your question. I just wanted to make sure I didn't sway anybody from using a PVM. I just want to make sure the point is clear that any CRT that's in decent working condition could be the perfect choice for you. Um, and any preference is all just that, just preferences. There isn't really a better one unless you're talking about stuff that's broken versus not broken. 
Dasutin wanted to chime in about those cheap, dazzle, and easy capture capture devices that Retro Music Dan was talking about last week, and reminded me that those capture 240p as if it were 480i. Now, you can use OBS to deinterlace that to make it look okay. It's not great, but if you're capturing composite video, that really won't matter anyway. But I do still see somebody using one of those to have an okay experience. You know, if your goal is just to to hang out with your friends while you're playing some games and you don't have any budget, but you could pick up one of these cards for almost nothing, fine. Um, you know, it's a good place to start, but I do think that if you're going to take this the slightest bit serious at all, you should look into getting something like a retro tank, or if you're streaming and splitting the signal, even one of those really terrible uh, SCART to HDMI devices, because while I, I have a million reasons why you shouldn't use those for gaming, if you're just using those for streaming, it does not really matter at all. Um, and I mean, you're not going to get the best picture, but it's going to be better than the Dazzle or the EasyCap with composite video. So I would just say that treat it like a microphone and that if you just want to have a quick conversation with your friend, you pick up your cell phone and you talk with FaceTime or, or Skype or whatever else, and it's super easy. But if you want to have a thing where you're hanging out with your friends virtually, you would probably upgrade to a headset or something or not just use your webcams mic. Even a $20 headset would do better. And that's the same thing with video capture. You know, if you just want to have a decent you know, one-off party with your friends virtually, use whatever. But if it's going to be a regular thing, look into something like a retro tank. Look into even those $20 cant links. That's what Epo's Fox calls them. They look like cam links, but they're just super cheap USB capture devices. And if you send it 480p, it's probably going to be good enough. I'm sure you'll drop some frames, but at least it'll be easier on the eyes than, you know, some blurry composite device that was originally interlaced before being fixed. Um, also, Dasutin wanted to remind everybody that when you talk about some of these cheaper capture cards that have HDMI pass-through, sometimes those do add lag. And Epos Vox talked about that a lot. I believe he has a database that he keeps up that tells the lag of the pass-through of all of these. He uses a time sleuth and all the right measurements and stuff, so it's a, it's a solid um, database to reference. And overall, it's just, uh, you know, these are just basic streaming tips. One day I would love to have time to do a video just about streaming that goes from beginner i'm on the cheapest budget possible all the way up till i'll probably end it with a link to my you know direct rgb capture for the crazy people that want to do it that way like me um but overall it's all good advice um you know one thing that i think would be neat that dasutin brought up would be would it would be very cool if any of these new scalers that are coming out uh, might have a usb output so you could plug that directly into a pc I don't know how much that would add. I don't know anything about what it would take to do that. So it might end up adding more cost to the scaler than just buying an HDMI splitter and a capture device. Or it could just be one more chip that they have to program in. I have no clue. So that's certainly something that uh, people much smarter than me would have to answer. But I love the idea of that. If it is something that's not too crazy, maybe the next generation retro scalers or or really just video game scalers um, would have some kind of direct capture out from it. I think that would be a pretty cool thing to have for your uh, for PC streaming and stuff like that. And I've actually seen a bunch of Dasutin streams as well. So it's, um, I usually lurk in the background and throw it on whenever I'm working on a different project, but his streams are pretty solid. So it's, it's good advice. And it's certainly the, the 480i thing is something I should have remembered last week, but, um, 
I think this definitely means that I need to end up getting or doing a, a streaming video that really just helps get people started with retro and focus on the things that the um, that sometimes the experts skip over, like how to pick up something off of eBay for five bucks and make it work type of stuff. But I'll get to that as soon as I can. A couple of questions from Jason Guffey. First, for devices like the Otaku SCART switch, I believe the manual push-button switch that has 6 or 12 in, depending on which configuration, but only 6 could be used at a time. And while there's two outputs, only one could be used at a time. And Jason's question is, if you're just using one at a t- output at a time, can you have two plugged in? And the answer is no. And you might be able to get away with it, but you might lose some brightness. Um, you'd be splitting grounds. It's just, it's not good practice, and it's really not something I would recommend. If you need dual output, I would get a device that's designed to do that and not try to force something out of the otaku switch. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not, certainly not putting you down. It's a good question. I'm not putting the otaku switch down. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to do, but I wouldn't do it because you're adding the the resistance on the line, even though both aren't powered up, and it's just probably not good for it. Um, Also, do I have any recommendations for breakout cables, either VGA or SCART, that have RCA connectors on the other end rather than BNC? Um, I like these short ones, and then I use HD Retrovision, just RCA to RCA on the other side. I've seen VGA to RCA before. Um, The one that I talked about quite a few times before was I had one of those hooked up to my mister, and I couldn't figure out why it was looking so terrible when I know that the Mr. Output's awesome quality video. And I ended up picking up one of these and it looked great. And it turns out that the VGA to RCA cable I was using just wasn't shielded and it wasn't good quality. And that's all it was. So you could try those, but generally speaking, you might have better luck with BNC just because it might be easier to find fully shielded ones. Also, since Jason has multiple scalers, they've been experimenting with different possibilities in using them together. So maybe the deinterlacing of one with the scanline capabilities of the other. Um, I honestly wouldn't mess with this too much. I have a friend that's obsessed with putting scalers into other scalers, and it never really does anything. It always ends up taking away from the image with some basic exceptions. So if you're doing something like you want a motion adaptive deinterlacer. So you go PlayStation 2 into the GBS control, and then you go from the GBS controls 480p output into the open source scan converter to get the scan line capabilities and to line double to 960p with scan lines. You might like the the combination of vertical and horizontal scan lines better with the OSSC than the scan lines from the GBS control. There, there's a million things you could try to do, but I never I never get results that make me feel like it's worth the time. Now, of course, if you're just experimenting for fun, I'm, I'm certainly not telling you not to do it, but I just would definitely want to tell you, in my experience, it's never been worth it, with some very, very few exceptions. Um, you also mentioned uh, what happens when you stack multiple low-pass filters together. Nothing bad. You just get a softer output. So if Scalar 1 has a filter and Scalar 2 has a filter, turn off one of the two. But it's not a huge difference. I mean, it's not like soft or sharp scaling. It's just something that uh, that you would notice if you had an 80-inch TV or if you were zooming in on captures or something like that. Well, overall, have some fun with it experiment, see what you could find, but it's not going to be something that you're going to get some some miracle output. And I mean that respectfully. I just I want to 
to at least warn you so you don't waste all the time me and some of my friends have wasted to to not really get anything better than just plugging it into a good scaler and configuring it. Uh, and lastly, they wanted some advice on SCART connectors because a lot of them get wiggly and finicky in their connections, and sometimes it's a pain to get them working. And they want to know if they're doing anything wrong or if it's the SCART connectors or are they just being too rough with their cables. And I'll tell you now, you're probably not being too rough with your cables because I beat the heck out of mine, not intentionally, but you know, all of these things are meant to be plugged in good cable management and walk away. And all the time I'm unplugging, replugging, bringing this setup over here. I work on it like a two by one foot space. So I'm stacking stuff on top of stuff. And if my cables haven't broken or haven't broken as often, cause they, they do break, then you're not, you're not going to be that much rougher on them. Um, the only thing I would suggest is good cable management. So if you have a bunch of thick, heavy shielded cables going into something like a G-SCART switch um, and the cables are pulled really tight, they're eventually, the SCART connectors are probably going to pop out. So just take the time to use some wire ties and stuff like that and just make sure that your cable management's set so there isn't any pressure on the connector. And the perfect example of that is in the SCART coupler video. I show how if you stack an open source scan converter or a retro tank, on top of a G-SCART switch with a SCART coupler and you loop the cable around, it doesn't put any pressure on the connector, it doesn't pull on either end, and it leaves everything just perfectly, you know, gravity holds it in place. Whereas if you had the cable pulled off to the side, you're putting pressure on the retro tank, the connector, the SCART coupler, the cable. So I think that's a bit of an extreme example, but that's certainly a good way to visualize it. Is just if you make sure your cables are really well routed um, and you kind of just plug it in, leave it and don't mess with it, you shouldn't have any trouble. The trouble only really occurs with uh, strain on the cables or if you're like me and you're just constantly unplugging and plugging stuff in which might be what you're doing if you're talking about mixing different kind of switches and scalers and stuff so hopefully that was all good advice hopefully that all came out well i meant that all with a smile and positively i'm certainly not looking down upon you for for swapping around cables and trying different scalers and stuff i just uh, always try to be positive and, and honest in my answers Jerry is testing a pretty interesting downscaling setup, and I'm going to skip to the answer because this is going to be confusing enough as it is. Uh, but basically, they're taking consoles that output HDMI and downscaling them to work on a PAL CRT via S-Video. And they're getting better results on one of those very cheap HDMI to composite and S-Video converters you find on Amazon than they are using the RetroTank 5X. And they were curious why and why you wouldn't want to use one of those if it's so easy. So the last part is an excellent question and a very easy answer. And those cheap HDMI to composite or HDMI to S-Video converters that you see on Amazon are designed for TV signals. So they add a ton of lag and they're going to downscale that to 480i in almost every single case. I've never seen one downscale it to a progressive scan image. So right off the bat, you're going to get interlaced flicker on games that probably weren't designed to be used with interlaced flicker. You might get some sharpness out of it as a result, but that's not good, and you're going to get a bunch of lag. So if you're doing this for like an art project-esque scenario in which you're gaming on a main TV, but you want a CRT there because it looks cool, that's totally fine and that's super easy because you go direct HDMI in, but that's not a gaming solution at all. The other thing is there's no reason why that should look better than your other solution, so you really need to walk back and figure out what went wrong in your other solution. And I'll tell you what I would do in this exact scenario because this is pretty much what I did in the RetroTank 5X video. 
set your your HDMI console, your Switch, your PS4, or your PC to 480p. Then run that through an HDMI to component video converter, one of those cheap ones that I always link to. Um, and the, go into the uh, RetroTank 5X's component video in, set it 240p downscaling mode on, and then go from the HDMI out to another converter. For me personally, I would probably go HDMI to VGA, and then I would use that HD15 to SCART converter that I've been talking about a lot now to convert RGBHV to RGBS. And then I'd use something like the Ashenworks or the Linux Bot 3000 RGB to S video converter. And while there's a lot of conversion going on, it's mostly just digital to analog, analog to digital, and then sync. So you're really not messing with the image as badly as you might think. And in that scenario, you're taking 480p, dropping every other line to 240p, and then sending that to from VG or from RGB to S video. And that should be fine. I would make sure to hit the up and down arrows on your RetroTink 5X remote to make sure that it's lined up properly, because that's an easy way to do it. And that should end up in a perfect signal. Or I shouldn't say perfect. I, that should end up in a, with a signal that's as good as one could expect from downscaling. There could possibly be other methods out there. You could look into doing something like uh, taking an Extron Super Emotia, going 480p in, and then just outputting straight up S-Video out of that. That might be a help to you and skip a device. Uh, you'd then have to find an Extron Super Emotia, and you'd still have to convert HDMI to VGA, and you might even, depending on the console, have to strip HDCP. So there's other ways to do it, but generally speaking, those are great. So if you're having a bad signal using that, then there's something in your chain that's messed up. Most likely, it could just be that you're you're playing games that really aren't designed to be downscaled, um, and downscaling them to 480i gives you just a different look that makes it look better. But if you're talking about something, like a really good test would be to take a, a, a virtual console game like Sonic or Mario or something on the Switch, and use this method. And if it looks pretty much perfect, then you've done everything right. Because that's the scenario in which downscaling should look really, really close to the original. Um, other than that, I'm really not sure what else to add. This is kind of a bit of a confusing thing because there's so many different devices in the chain. And it could also be that you grabbed cables out of a bin and you used really crappy RCA cables for the component video input or something. It happens to me all the time. So you never know. I'm not, you know, cable shaming you or anything like that. It's, it's just something that happens. You know, you use good cables all the way around and then one analog cable is bad and it kills the signal. So I would kind of take a step back and look at it as a whole. But the only thing I could answer without a doubt for you is those cheap ones that you find on Amazon, the HDMI to component or the HDMI to composite or HDMI to S video that downscale. Those were all designed for TV signals. Um, and you're going to get a ton of lag on those. So at the very least, I can give you a clear answer on why I don't recommend those for gaming, but the rest of the stuff, you're going to have to kind of do an analysis of your full setup. Oliver Clare has a US Atari 2600 that they're trying to use while living in Ireland, but they require a step-down converter for the power, and both the step-down converter and the PSU gets pretty hot, so they were looking for an alternative. Luckily, it's super easy. I'll link you to Firebrand X's website, and all you got to do is pick up an international version of the Triad PSUs and get the one that matches the voltage for the 2600. 
then at that point you would just need a tip converter to convert the barrel end of the triad to the mono audio style plug of the 2600 and that's it. You're done. Um, it's It'll work worldwide. It's, uh, it's a great PSU. It's even MD4EA approved, if you will. It's just the easiest solution you can get for something like this. And one of the reasons why I actually do like wall warts because you could play, you could use them worldwide using something like a triad. So I'll leave the link in there. The only thing you might run into is if you can't get the tip converter, you might have to make your own, and that's pretty easy as well. That's technically a mod, but if you could twist some wires together and add some sealant around them, you're good to go. But I would start with that because I'm pretty sure you could find the tip converters pretty cheap, um, and you could order these triad PSUs worldwide. Any of any kind of electronics distributor should be able to have them, so I'll make sure to drop all the links in there. Photosven said they have a GC loader installed in their PAL GameCube, outputting via a RAD 2X, and while it's working fine, the image is a bit more fuzzy than they expected, and not as good as when they used the same RAD 2X on a Super Nintendo. So that's a few different things. Um, mostly that's because GameCube will output 480i in almost all cases from the multi-out port, not the digital port, of course. I'll get back to that in a second. So that's probably where the fuzziness is coming from. You have 3D 480i images that are getting deinterlaced with the RAD 2X. If you have the smoothing filter on, that'll help that. And it's never going to look as good as the 240p progressive output of a Super Nintendo. Now, you could use Swiss to change that. I did show that in the RAD 2X video as well. And since you have a GC loader, it's super easy. You're probably running Swiss anyway, but if not, definitely add that. Just uh, rename the latest version of the Swiss ISO that matches your console to boot.iso, and that's, that's it. You boot right into Swiss. So if you force a 240p output mode, you should get a look that's pretty close to a Super Nintendo, but it's not always going to look right. So if you're using um, Game Boy interface through the Game Boy Player hardware, that'll look great because now you're, setting, you're sending a true 240p signal out for something that was meant to be sent in that resolution. But if you're playing a 3D game you might not get as good of a look as just using the smoothing filter on the RAD 2X. Don't use it for the Super Nintendo, but for GameCube in 480i, it might it might be okay. But this is one of the many reasons why I suggest getting something like a Prism, which plugs right into the digital output of the GameCube and gets you full 480p progressive scan signals. Um, now, you said you're planning on upgrading eventually, and this is, in fact, the exact scenario. I suggest that people use the RAD 2X with the GameCube, either when you don't have the digital port at all, or you're just picking up one thing to eventually upgrade to something else, but now your RAD 2X works on both. So it's a perfect solution for now, but that's the answer. It's probably because you're outputting 480i. You could force it to 240p, but it might not look good in all scenarios. Definitely worth a try. Try the smoothing filter and eventually move on to a Prism or a GC Video 3.0 plug-and-play solution. That way you could have all of the features that you need and you can get progressive scan 480p output from it. Per Kimba said they live in Peru, which has a 220 volt power system, and they have a 1000 watt transformer that handles any 110 to 120 volt stuff they have. But they recently just bought a 1x4S video amplifier, plus a portable black and white TV, and their adapters can only handle 120 volts. Is it safe to plug them into a 220 volt extension cord, and then plug the extension cord into the transformer, or do they need another transformer? So... 
that's an interesting question. So you have your transformer in one room with a bunch of stuff hooked up to it. You have this new CRT and an S-video amplifier in another, and you want to know if it's safe to run that CRT through an extension cable to the other room into the transformer. Uh, you already made the point that you're only going to be powering on two things at the same time, so you're not going over the 1,000 watts, so that part's safe. So then the question would be, is the extension cable a pass-through cable, or does something else happen? And I don't know. I don't know a single thing about power outside of the U.S., um, but that's the question that you would want to answer, and that can you just use, uh, you know, um, I guess just the plug converter, so it doesn't convert the power, it just converts the plug at the end to plug that into an extension cable and plug the other extension cable into the transformer. So the power is still staying the same the whole way. You're just using an extension cable with a different connector on it. I don't know. That's something you want to double check, but that's a good question. My gut tells me you should probably be okay as long as it's one-to-one. -one. As long as pin one on one side comes out, pin one on the other side, and you know it, there's no weirdness going on, it should be okay. But please double check because power is crazy. You never want to, you never want to ruin something from bad advice, and I'd feel awful if you did. So please double check. But I think if the extension cables just pass through, you should be fine with that. Dave Eli was wondering if I had any recommendations for a good 5-volt, 4- or 5-amp power supply for use with the Mister. Yes, the Triad. Um, it works great. Um, I think the same links for Firebrand X's website work with it. They're international. They're great if you need them. But the question is, why do you need them? And the power supply that comes with the DE10 has always worked perfect for me except one scenario. Some of those low-quality inline power switches introduce some kind of problem where I have voltage issues when I use those. And when I bump myself up to a triad, there's no issues at all, everything works. Or if I just remove the inline power connector, everything works, including external hard drives, you know, all accessories, etc. The only time I had trouble was the stock PSU through an inline power switch. So, to answer your question, a triad, 5-volt, whatever amp power supply would definitely work for you. However, why do you need it? Um, or, or if you just lost the original, that's a perfectly good reason, too. I've had a bunch of friends with that same issue. But that's definitely the question that you need to ask because there could be something else going on in that scenario. And I even just totally forgot about that. And I was testing a mister a month ago, and the Wi-Fi wouldn't come up. And I go, oh, I thought they solved this problem. You know, Wi-Fi issues are such a pain with the mister. And then I looked down and realized, oh, I, I have one of those old power connectors. I pulled out the inline power connector, threw it in the garbage, plugged in the stock PSU, and have not had Wi-Fi issues since. So um, definitely need to ask the question of why first. But if you still just need the other power supply, grab the triad. Rick Lewis wants to know if there are any safety issues when using those SCART to composite and RCA audio converters, the little plugs that go into the side that I show in my videos. And the answer is mostly no, not at all. Um, I'll explain exactly why. Basically, these are little dongles that plug into a SCART output. Um, they're actually usually input or output switchable, so you could use them in either direction. And I've used these to do things as basic as pull RCA audio from a SCART switch, or if you're routing something like a sync on composite video SCART cable through a SCART switch, you could use this to pull composite video out of it. I've shown these in a whole bunch of videos in different scenarios. And the converters themselves, these little pin converters, don't have any safety issues whatsoever. 
But once again, what you send it is what it will output. So if you have some crazy cable with a, uh, a sync stripper in it and you know no proper termination and no resistor on it, and you send it through this into your consumer TV, you could be sending high voltage to your consumer TV. But that's probably not what you're asking. If you have a bunch of consoles with sync on composite video SCART cables or just composite video through SCART, and you use one of these to plug into your TV, no problems whatsoever. This is just a pin converter. The worst possible scenario is it's routed bad and you get a little bit of hum or interference, but that's not a safety issue. That's a quality issue. So good question, but no, feel free to use those. They should be totally fine to use. Just make sure that you understand that your sources have composite video coming through it, not RGBS with high voltage sync over the sync line. Jonathan Levine said they have a friend who moved from France to their cold but cool province of Quebec a few years back. They're a retro gaming enthusiast, and now he'd like to get an NTSC CRT TV to play classic games again. However, all his consoles are PAL. Is there a way for him to hook these up on a consumer-grade NTSC CRT, or should he replace his PAL systems for North American ones? I don't think there's a way to do that, but if you pick up a PVM, even one that just uses composite video, that should be able to use both regions. I can't remember a scenario of using a PVM that didn't do that. I can't quite remember if I tried with composite video, though. I may have only been using RGB, but overall, I don't think you have that issue with PVMs. Some consumer-grade TVs might accept more than one. I know that's the case with PAL CRTs and the RGB SCART input. The one that I have is all PAL on every input except SCART. And through that SCART input, it's PAL only if you use it as composite. But if you use it as RGB, it's NTSC or PAL. But I don't think you're going to run into that a lot with basic consumer-grade TVs. So... Uh, maybe somebody else would have a better answer, but my guess would be you'd either have to replace the consoles or just look to get any PVM at all and hope that, that you find one that uses both inputs or or can input both signals. But I think almost all of them do. So that And because as long as you don't need RGB, you might actually be able to find a very cheap PVM that's composite video only still in de decent shape. So I would go for that as my first answer and kind of go from there. Watermelon Bonsai has a question about hardware, but I think the question needs to be about resolution instead. I'll ask the question and then I'll clarify. They have a Sega Dreamcast outputting to a VGA box, then a VGA cable from there into an HD15 discard adapter, into a GSCART switch, into a Sony PVM2030. And if that VGA box is outputting 480i or 240p, 15 kilohertz, that chain will work perfectly. If that VGA box is outputting 480p only, I don't believe the PVM2030 accepts 480p. I think that's a 15 kilohertz only monitor. So in that case, the answer would be no, but that has nothing to do with the VGA box, the HD15 discard, or the GSCART. That has to do with the signal coming out of the Dreamcast first the signal that your monitor can accept. So I would double check all of that stuff to make sure, uh, but the HD15 discard is just a sync combiner pin converter. It is not a downscaler. So if the question is, can I go from Dreamcast 480p to a 15 kilohertz monitor, then you need to have some kind of downscaling in the middle. But as far as just using that um, 
using that with a 480i signal, the hardware you mentioned will work. The only question is what will the target display accept? Hopefully I made that clear and not more confusing, but definitely ask if I, uh, if I messed up the answer. Well, that's it for this time. If you're new to these Q&As, post any question you have wherever it is that you support in the newest Q&A post that's there. The way these services work, I can't really figure out what's a new question on an older post. Plus, I, I think it's a lot of fun to just scroll through and answer the questions in real time like this. So any question you got, fire away on the newest Q&A post wherever it is that you support. And I will try my best to get to it the next week. The only time I miss them is when I accidentally delete them in post or if it's by accident. I don't skip questions. So, um, And of course, and as always, thank you so much to everybody that supports in any way possible. It really is you that's keeping all of the stuff that I'm involved in alive. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.